This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. And we've gone through every single division. We finished with our own division, the American League West. You're going to hear from Glenn Kuyper of your Oakland Athletics, Mark Gubazov from the Angels, Jeff Blum from the Houston Astros, CJ Nikowski from the Texas Rangers, and Aaron Goldsmith from the Seattle Mariners. Well, everybody knows we love G. Kype. As I say, Ken Korak is the voice of the Oakland Athletics. Ray Fossey is the face of the franchise. Glenn Kuyper is the face of A's television. Here's our buddy, Glenn Kuyper. Our next guest is the face of A's television. The great Glenn Kuyper joins us. It's been a while. G. Kype, how are you? Hi, Tony. I miss you, buddy. I know. I mean, the fact uh, that we can't see each other, we don't get to do our normal stuff. It's just, it's brutal. I know. I know. It is. It is. I miss everybody at the ballpark so much. It's like uh, ridiculous. You know how in August you're just like sick of seeing everybody? I'll never <laughs> feel that way again, ever. <laughs> yeah, when you're like tired of being on planes and you're tired of hotel yeah. rooms. Just don't want to talk to anybody miserable, and I swear, I told my wife, I will never, ever, ever feel that way again. Promise. How much, how much do you miss Delaire? Oh, I mean, I mean, see, that I, I'm so lucky because the guys I work with, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm friends with, and that includes, you know, obviously the broadcasters, but the production people, I mean, these guys are like some of my best friends, like you know, go out and laugh like crazy with these guys. So, you know, I miss everybody. So hopefully we can see each other real soon, even though it's going to be a little bit different, but I think that's on its way. Let's hope so. You know, I was just saying that normally in these negotiations, everybody kind of waits each other out, kind of figure out the leverage, but Mm -hmm. Both parties here know there's a time crunch. So you've got the players responding last night. You got the owners already before the end of business today respond, responding. They know they've got to get a deal done. Players said 114 games. Owners are now like, well, maybe 60. I think this yeah. negotiation is we're all going to meet in the middle. And what we thought all along is somewhere around 82, 80. What do you think of that? Um, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. When, when this stuff is going on, you really become a fan, you know, because you just want baseball. 
for all of us, it's, it's, it's work related, but you really just, you want baseball again. So you get a little frustrated with the back and forth, but, but you're right. It is, this is what happens, you know? I mean, and I do agree with you. I think the fact that proposals as far apart as they may be, at least now they're starting to go back and forth. I think that's a big deal. Um, and as far as games played, you know, I don't know. That's a tough one because um, you, you obviously see the player side, more games, more money. Um, you see the owner side, they want to make sure that the postseason gets taken care of and they don't want that to last into November. So I think both sides have a pretty good, pretty good uh, argument as far as amount of games played. It's not the only argument they have, but so I think, I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I think it, it may be more than, than the 80, I'm thinking maybe 90, um, again, a lot of my predictions are, are sprinkled with wishful thinking. So, um, but you know, maybe, maybe 90 and, and maybe you play to, you know, the first two weeks of October regular season, we'll see, you know, but, but at least they're starting to throw things back and forth. I think that's a big deal. And Tony, I think by Friday or Saturday, I think we're going to be closing in on something. That's just my prediction. Yeah, Nick Swisher said on our program on Friday, and, you know, he's such a positive guy, but he was like, you know, if you've got NASCAR going, you got the PGA Tour starting up on the 11th, you know, the NBA yeah. is talking about starting up. The if, if they're all going and baseball isn't, boy, that'll be a bad luck. Yeah, it, it would be it would be horrible. I just – I just as hard as it is to, to listen now what's going on back and forth, I just do not see any way that they don't play. Um, I just don't. I just don't. Everybody, everybody knows what's at stake. Um, and, you know, it's a stare down right now. That stare down is going to loosen up in the next couple days. And I think we'll see progress, you know, maybe, maybe starting Wednesday, hopefully. And, and I do. I'm, I'm pretty confident something's going to get done. And, you know, I, I, I think just, just from a, we need we need we need some feel good stuff right now. We all know that, and I, you know I think trying to start on July second or July third around the fourth of July, I think that's kind of a big deal. Um, you know, it's not the end all, but I, I I think it would be kind of cool if 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 we could get that going by then, and and uh, you know make you know baseball has a chance to to be important here. Um, and I, I, I really do think they should take advantage of it. You know, one thing that we talked a lot about at spring training and may be irrelevant now, and if I'm going to play glass half full and something that could benefit the A's is the fact that they're young pitchers. We're not going to sit here and go, oh, my God, I'm worried about Lazardo. I'm worried about Puck's innings. I'm worried about how mm -hmm. many starts. In a shortened season, right, we can just tell, tell these young bulls, let it go. Yeah, I do. And I know you and I talked about that, you know, when this all kind of started. I, I think a shortened season, I think it would it would help the A's. I really do. Um, a couple things. They they have always started slow. We know that. We, we scratch our heads about that. I think now they realize that can't do it this year, can't start slow. And they know that. And, and I think the young pitching thing is important. And I think it would be an advantage 
where you wouldn't have to worry about innings. And I think too, you know, the A's, the A's have a guy by the name of Chris Bassett, who's really their sixth starter. Well, he led the team in strikeouts last year. And I think at least the first month when there's not going to be a lot of innings gotten from your starting pitch, if you have another starter, um, I think that's a big deal. You know, so they have six real good starters. Um, how many people can say that? How many teams can say that? So if you want to kind of look at this shortened season from an A's perspective, I mean, I think it has a chance to line up pretty good for them, you know, for a couple of different reasons. But the, the main one is what you're talking about, these starters. And I know these guys are chomping at the bit, these A's players, because the confidence they have going into this season like they're done with the wild card. They don't want to do the wild card again. And and that they're all a year older. They should be a year better. They're brimming with confidence. And that was the one thing I took away from spring training is these guys are really looking to win this year. Yeah, well, no question. And I think it's a very important year, Tony, for the A's because they they really didn't lose anybody from last year. So you got a 97-win team. You didn't really lose anybody, and you're adding two really good young left-handed starters. And I mean, I think this—I think this is uh, this is the year for them because next year, you you know, you ha- you are going to lose some people unless they can sign them as free agents, which is possible. But Marcus and Liam Hendricks and Fires, these guys are free agents. You hope they stay, but you don't know when you start looking to 2021. So that's what makes this season still it's, it's an important year for the A's because I think they do have a very legitimate chance to win it. I think there's no doubt. And really the, the, the thing that I don't really care for with a shortened season is I got a feeling this is going to put more teams in play because when you play 162 games, you get exposed. Your warts get shown, and it's the team, the best teams make the postseason. But my God, let's say, let's just say the players said, "Okay, you want to play 60 games? We get the full pro raise. Let's do it. a 60 game season. I, everybody's in play for that." Yeah, yeah, and and not only that, Tony is, but you're probably you're going to see, uh, you know, two extra wild card teams in each league. Um, so you're going to have more teams in it, um, which which I'm okay with that, but it does change the dynamics for what you're saying in a shortened season. So not only do you have a shortened season, but you have two extra playoff teams from each league. So, yeah, everybody's in play. I mean, it, you could be an average team, but if you play a little bit better than than maybe people thought, you're going to be in the hunt for, you know, for a postseason berth. And this year, with the way it could set up, you know, the, these wild card games, they're going to be three game series probably. So you're not, you know, you're not going to have to just do the one game win. You, you, you know, it's going to be a three game series. I, I don't know. I, 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 I think all this is, it's a little crazy, but I think we could really sit back and enjoy it. Um, if it if if it is shortened season, every game means twice as much, right? That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. How about you know Bob Melvin managing every game? Yeah. Like it's you know I mean every game we have yeah. to win every game. Absolutely. I mean it, it that that to me 
is kind of exciting um, because you just don't you just don't have the luxury I don't think of having a bad month. Um, even good teams usually over the course of a season they may have a, a bad month. You know maybe they just don't play well. I, I just don't know that you can. Well, you can't afford to have a real bad month if the season's only going to be three, three and a half months long. So there's a little more pressure on teams, I think, once once we all get get started. And and really, Tony, I think there's pressure on on teams that are expected to be really good, um, because you just you just you don't have quite as much room for error this year. So I kind of like it. I think that's kind of exciting. I, I don't want it every year. But let's make the best of this. And I think when it's all said and done, this could be a really exciting season, even though it's going to be very, very different. No doubt. And the sport may be played a little bit differently. You know, we may have some changes. I mean, I, I, you know, you hear the rumors, you know, like one of them was, hey, they don't want the catcher, the batter, and the umpire to be so close. Maybe this mm-hmm. is when we experiment with the electric strike zone. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, I'm not a fan of the electric strike zone, um, but yeah, you're talking about three people being very close to each other. I mean, that's what we're trying to avoid, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but again, I, I don't think that will happen, but I think your point is that everything's in play here. And I just hope Tony, I think, I hope everybody in baseball and, and, you know, a lot of people, old school, you know, new school, whatever you want to call it. I hope everybody is just open to what is going to be a different year. And let's just try to enjoy it, right? I mean, it's going to be different. But what if what if there's two or three things that are different that all of a sudden we liked? Like, hey, that was, that was pretty good. Um, and I think that will happen. There will be some things this year that are experimented with that turn out to be good. Um, so I just hope everybody keeps an open mind about a, a different year you know let's not let's not complain about things that aren't the way they used to be let's enjoy it when it gets going because because uh, we certainly need it now and, and I, I'm looking forward to it big time what storyline with the A's are you whether think back to spring training or where we are now that you're most interested to watch uh, good question you know I, I don't worry about the lineup, lineup's going to score runs. Too good, too many good hitters. Defense is fine, um, you know. So I don't really worry about that stuff. I, I think if if the pitching, if the starting rotation is as good as it can be, with the addition of these two young guys and the depth with Bassett, I think you have a chance to have a dominant starting rotation. Uh, not just dominant first two, not just dominant first three. I'm talking about dominant throughout. And if that happens, I think these, I think these, that's where they got a legitimate shot. If this starting rotation is as good as we think it can be, then they're going to be really, really, really good. Um, so that, that, that to me is, is everybody, everything else is going to be there. They're going to score runs. They're going to catch the ball. They got a good closer, but man, if that rotation is lights out, look out. That's that's the way I'm. I'm going to watch the rotation and see how they they go. You know, I've been asking everybody this since this pandemic hit and we've been locked in. 
You know, everybody's doing a deep dive on something. It's whether you're reading more, you're watching old movies, uh, puzzles, games. What have the Kuipers been doing all this time? Oh, that's a good question. You know, um, the kids doing a pretty good job in school. They just finished that all up. That's not easy, but uh, they did a pretty good job with that. My wife is, she loves to work out. So she's been doing that on her own. I had a, I had a plan that I was going to lose 10 pounds. The problem is Tony is I gained five. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Like I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing good. <laughs> so, I'm a little irritated about that. I, I had a plan to lose 10 and I gained five. So I'm down 15. I, uh, I, I asked Cody, I said, what's the earliest you've cracked an alcoholic beverage? And I was thinking, well, <laughs> I, I played golf with Matt Pearl. So it was like a bloody Mary at like 10, 15. That's beautiful. That there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Although I, I will tell you this, I will tell you this, Tony is I mean, a couple times now I've played golf with my brother, Dwayne and Dennis Eckersley and talk about having fun. Because those two guys were teammates in 1972 in single-A baseball. And then they were teammates with the Indians for three years. So they've known each other forever. And talk about enjoyment for me. Because this is, you know, these are the guys that grew up, you know, thinking we're pretty cool. So now they are telling stories to each other. They are talking about old times. They're talking about stuff that happened in the 70s and they're talking about specific games that they played in and guys that they did like didn't like stories about about teammates and I'm just sitting there going this is unbelievable so that has been a highlight for me um and we're going to do it again before the season starts two or three more times because they you know we just have fun right let's just get out and play golf um and then these guys start laughing and talking about about you know stuff that happened in the big leagues and games and it's what a treat i mean it is a treat i I can't tell you all the stories but it's been fun to listen to (laughs) oh man i mean how about this i was born in 1972 these guys have known each other for 48 years they've they've known each other the length of townie which is pretty good (laughs) and you know i was go go ahead no i was gonna say so you guys are doing good though in the townsend household yeah, everything's good. Like you said, uh, school and my, you know, it's it's like watching my wife, who's a first grade teacher on Zoom, oh, have all these little kids. And uh, uh, and I think about how cool Eck is and how cool your brother is. And it, it's got me thinking. I mean, you think about your brother's age. You think about John Miller. You think about Coco. Yeah. You think about Ray Fossey, uh, Ken yeah. I've, I You know, it's like we, we've got to protect these guys. Absolutely. I mean, these are these are the guys we look up to, right? So, uh, yeah, they're going to be fine, and and you know, I, I hopefully we'll we'll all be back to work soon. And man, I miss it. I miss it a lot. And and you know, we have a chance to to put some smiles on people's faces. I think a lot of people are going to want to watch when these games start up again, um, and that's exciting. You know, there's a sense of responsibility there for us, and um, so we'll, we'll we'll be ready for it. Let's hope it happens soon. 
you know, we've been bringing on familiar voices and your voice, our A's fans, you're as familiar as any of them. So uh, just to help them make them feel better and entertain them uh, while everybody is still inside. So thank you so much for the time. I miss you. Can't wait to see you and uh, be well with the family. All right. Thanks, Tony. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in early July. How about that? I'll take it. Take care, G. Kipe. All right. See you, buddy. Truly one of the nicest guys of all time. Also one of the nicest guys. Whenever we talk Angels baseball, we go straight to the big right-hander. He's a World Series champion. He's an all-star. He's a former 20-game winner and now does television for the Los Angeles Angels. Here's our buddy, Mark Gubaza. Well, he's one of our favorites to talk to throughout the year. Loved watching him pitch back in the day. And his 85 Royals just beat the 1972 A's. We got a lot to get into. We're going to talk some angel baseball as we're breaking down every single team. The great Mark Gubazad joins us once again. Always wonderful to have you here on A's Cast Live. Chris, thanks, man. It's it's pretty cool. You know, that, that 72 team, I remember uh... – you know, playing in the streets of back in Philly and, and playing wiffle ball, and it was like them that those teams and, and the Orioles and the Reds and everything else. I'm thinking, ah, I'm pretty shocked that we were able to win that that game against the '72 A's because that team was incredible. Well, first off, most importantly, congratulations to you and your family and your daughter. We saw on Twitter that your daughter graduated from Kansas. Yeah, she. I mean, she absolutely loved it out there. She's the one. I mean, I have three kids and. The two older ones were born out there in in Kansas City and in, in Kansas, and she was born out here in L.A. and and she, for whatever reason, decided she wanted to go there. And we went there in, a number of different times. And what a what a great time it was for her out there in Lawrence, Kansas. And cool little community. Uh, we went to a bunch of football games, even though they're not a real good football program. At least not yet. Les Miles is now the head coach, so that'll I'm sure that'll turn around the basketball program. And she went to a bunch of baseball games and. And this her, her core little group of girls that she hung out with. It's a sorority she belonged to, and she had so much fun. And and it's so hard for her to, to you know, especially under these circumstances that that it, it was done, and it wasn't like the normal hoopla you you would have for a graduation. But uh, overall, she had a blast, and she's she's got the biggest smile on her face that she was able to graduate from there. How nice is it to uh, not have to write the checks anymore? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always joke around with her the exact same thing today. And she goes, well, Dad, I'm going to get my master's. And uh, eventually work my way to USC. I'm like, oh, that's that's even better. <laughs> so I said, oh, I can't wait. I guess I got to keep working for a couple more years. Just when I think I could go play golf every day, I said, I guess I can't. You know, I think about that 1985. Is You know, I, I grew up, George Brett was my favorite player. I watched a lot of you guys. I would travel up to uh, – Anaheim to watch you guys play that team, even though the Royals have won a recent world series and they played in back-to-back world series, there's just always going to be something about your guys team that was just so special. And that, that, you know, Royals fans and people in that area will always remember that season. What a special season it was. Yeah. Finally getting over the hump after all those years playing the Yankees in the playoffs, Finally getting to the World Series in 80 against the Phillies and losing that one. And, you know, just they weren't able to, you know, a lot of talent. And I, I think if you look back from all the, the great teams that the Royals had from the 70s and in, in the 80s and eventually in 85 and even 84, for that matter, when we played the, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest teams I've ever seen was the Tigers in 84, that uh, there was probably more talented Royal teams. But 
we had a real good combination of young guys, especially on the pitching staff and, and veterans on the on the position player, and we all fed off each other. I think the veterans like the Hal McCrays and the Willie Wilsons and George Bretts and, and Frank Whites, they just and, and Jim Sumbergs. I think they just they were rejuvenated just being around us knuckleheads, and, and we were just a bunch of young guys. Saves myself, Danny Jackson. You know, Bud Black really was the veteran of our staff, and he hadn't had a lot of playing time either as far as service time. And Charlie Liebrandt, same thing. So we were always messing around, having a good time, and I think that kept them focused. We had a bunch of really good role players on that on that team that knew, their, you know, knew they were playing once or twice a week maybe, but they always felt they were going to get a key at bat or maybe make a good defensive play. I mean, we were down – by what seven and a half games that year in the All Star break, we open up in New York, got crushing like a five game sweep because we had a couple makeup games, and you know we had to play the the Angels who that year ended up one game behind us, and we played them eight times in the middle of September and we won seven of eight. So if we go five and eight against them, they're to, they win the division, or six and eight we have a playoff against them. So we knew. We had to play, and that Angel team, when you look at it, they had so many star players on there, but there was something about our team that year that once we got it on a roll, which was typical for the Royals in August and September, that uh, we were just going to do something special. You know, a lot of our younger audience, so they won't remember this, but the battles that the Royals would lose in the 70s and into the 80s, you know, especially against the Yankees, but here was this, you know, small market team up against the big boy. And, and there are some classic, I mean, absolute classic games. But for years, the Royals just couldn't get over the hump. Yeah, you remember that walk off of Chris Shambliss running around the bases yeah. in, in New York? And, it, you know, and it, at one point there were the, the Kansas City A's. And, you know, there was a number of, that was like a, a Yankees franchise, basically. A lot of guys from the Yankees that came through there and played there, including I think even Dick Hauser did at one point. I, my first year, we got, you know, I make the team in 84. And, you know, and I remember George Brett coming in to talk to us. This is not with the coaches in there. And he goes, you know what? I don't care if we lose every game this year as long as we beat. And then you got some other words to it, the Yankees. And that's all we cared about was beating the Yankees. There was such a hate for them. And then you go in even to, you know, the Pine Tar game in 83 with Billy Martin and, and the Yankees. So there was always some disdain between the Royals and the Yankees. And even to the, you know, even to this day, there's still a core group of Kansas City Royal fans when the Yankees come to town. I know a lot of people still feel the same way because they're the Yankees, but there's a lot of dislike for that franchise just because of the battles and how many times they broke Royal fans' hearts over the years. I mean, it was a, a lot of years where those Royal teams were so good, but somehow the Yankees were able to beat them every time in the postseason. Yeah, definitely a special group and special players. And, of course, you got the most special player down there in Anaheim. A rough year last year at 72-90. and 90. Uh, But Shohei Otani, I, I think this time off is going to help him. Uh, whoever the injured players are, it will help them. Uh, you bring in Rendon, who's one of the premier third basemen in all of baseball. What are your expectations in, a, in like, an 82-game season where really – Everybody's got a puncher's chance now. Yeah, I mean, I, I even go back to Chris Webb's in spring training, Joe Madden at the helm. Uh, his energy and his positivity was was unreal. I mean, seeing Pujols and Trout, they looked like they was their first year in camp. I mean, they, 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 they were buying into everything, the fundamentals, doing everything 
to win a game by one run. It wasn't all about trying to hit a 500-foot home run. It was all about, hey, if I have to hit the ball the right side, and I think I'd help having Anthony Rendon, because if you look at him, and I used, I, I used to watch every at-bat he had in spring training. It was incredible. Wherever the pitch was thrown, he was hitting it. He wasn't trying to hit a home run. He could hit it, as we know he did against Kershaw last year to get that comeback against the Dodgers. He brings that little bit of a different element to the team, and, and everybody was biting into it. And you mentioned Shohei Otani. He was supposed to be ready to go in May. Well, he's going to be ready to go from the get-go now. Griffin Canning is going to be ready to go now to start. So every team is going to need depth. I mean, you're going to see a lot of teams potentially with a six-man rotation. Uh, so you need depth in your ro- starting staff, and they have that right now. And Dylan Bundy was throwing the ball very well. Even though if you look at his numbers with Baltimore, you know, gave up a lot of home runs. Mickey Calloway, the new pitching coach, who did a fantastic job when you look back at what he did with Cleveland, with Kluber and all those guys. They were all no-name guys, and he turned them around. His philosophy about you know that first pitch strike and, and see how many outs you can get with one or two pitches instead of always thinking swing and miss and swing and miss percentage and strikeouts. Hey, they're great, but if you can get some quicker outs, you got a better chance of being in a game and less chance to make a mistake because the more pitches you throw to a batter, and Don Drysdale told me this perfectly when I when I talked to him one time way back in in '86, he's or '84 I should say. He said you're going to make a mistake to a batter every at bat, but if you can alleviate the amount of pitches you throw to them, chances are if they get that one, they might not get it. But if they see enough pitches from you, they're going to get that one mistake you made. So I, I think the whole philosophy for the team and, and their their one through nine lineup is wow, it's pretty good. I mean I. I'd be shocked if they didn't have a great run here if we come back and play the 82 game schedule. That it's going it's the old saying baseball is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Well, it's a sprint this year and it's going to be I think it's going to be great for fans because every inning, every game is going to be so meaningful because you can't just go, "Okay, we're going to lose this game, we'll get them tomorrow." That might cost you a chance to get to the postseason. So every game is going to be fun to watch. No doubt about it. And, you know, the PGA Tour can't play every day. NASCAR can't play every day. Uh, baseball can. And really, playing every day and giving the people something to look forward to every day can really reclaim baseball as our national pastime. And, and the one thing that I – if I had a wish list for the Angels, I would say I want to see Otani. I, I want to be like Little League. I want him to play every day. Because the first time I saw this guy – the BP was incredible. Then you realize how fast he is, how tall he is, how athletic he is. We know he's got great stuff on the mound. It's like, I want to see him pitch every five days. And the days he's not pitching, I want to see him DHing. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see that this time around. I don't think you're going to see where it was two days before start, he was already prepping for pitching, and then the day after it wasn't. No, I think you're going to see him, I would say, at the very least he'll be available the day before or the day after to pinch hit, but every other day he's in the game. He's hitting. And we, with him in the lineup, it's, it's, a way, it's a way better balanced lineup, too, because there's a lot of power from the right side. So now you have that power from the left side, and, and you need that. And, uh, and, and the guy, another guy you got to keep an eye on. Now, see, this, this way the baseball set up right now, it might be more difficult for Joe Adele is going to be a star. He is going to be a superstar player. And – you know, who knows what they're going to be. He didn't get it. You know, he was showing some signs again in spring training, getting some at-bats, you know, some ups and downs, some failures, successes. Now it's going to be harder in this environment we're going to be in now with, a, you know, shortened spring training and fewer at-bats and, and how they're going to work this out. But he's going to be a huge player in there too. But 
Otani needs to play as much as possible because now we're back in that same conversation of Babe Ruth where, you know, the pitching and the hitting side of it. And, boy, you're right about his speed. You don't realize how fast he is until you watch him run down the line and think because he kind of reminds me like of, you know, Devon White or, or Willie Wilson. They just have those great, graceful strides. It wasn't like Bo Jackson running down there like he was going to run through the bag or run through the first baseman. He was just, he's just gliding down there. You know, we've talked to you about Bo, and the stories are great. And, I mean, you played with George Brett, who's an all-time great. Uh, Bo Jackson, to me, is the greatest athlete of all time. But if I had to ask you to ex- explain to somebody about Mike Trout and his skill set and his greatness, how would you describe it? Uh, you, you mentioned both their names, and I've said this a few times. I might even tell you this before as well. I always, when I, everyone, they always ask me, who does Mike Trout remind you of? And everyone would always go, Mickey Mantle. Well, I didn't see Mickey Mantle play in person. I saw a lot of highlights. And same thing with Willie Mays. Uh, I always felt that Mike, every time I see him, is a combination of George Brett, his baseball skills, and the athleticism of Bo Jackson and the wow factor of Bo. So you put George and Bo together, and, that, and I said so many times, that's Mike Trout. Because Trout is going to hit a ball a mile. But he also is going to you know, run as fast as Bo down the line. But he also has the ability to not chase pitches out of the strike zone, force you in the strike zone like George did. Good power the other way. George had great power to left center field. Well, Trotty's got great power to right center field. And so seeing those guys playing how they work pitchers like, like Trout and George did, but, but able to run and, and hit and, and crush a ball and do all those things like Bo, it's, I always say that that's the best way I can describe this combination of those two. You know, I, I think about most home runs against the A's it's Alex Rodriguez and Rafael Palmero. It's like 36 or 37 trout's like a 33 already. And he's got another X amount of years. He just crushes the A's, but he will never get the all time record because the all time record home runs uh, against the A's is uh, Babe Ruth at 108. I don't think anybody's ever going to touch that. But, yeah, it, it, it is a – even though he he kicks the you-know-what out of us, it's just a pleasure to watch him play. Like, if you talk about if there's one guy I would pay to watch, it's Mike Trout. Yeah, and, and over the years, I look at how Oakland and their staff, and, and they've had some pretty good power arms. They, they pitch him inside pretty effectively, but – the more pitches you throw inside, the more out that baseball is going to drift out just far enough from the plate where he's going to get the good part of the bat on it. It's going to go a long, long way. I, I give him a lot of credit to the ace pitchers. They have guts to go inside against them, and they've hit him a few times as well. But, uh, you know, just watching him and never an easy ballpark to hit a home run up there in Oakland and not an easy park to hit a home run really when you think about it in Anaheim either. So pretty impressive numbers. And I, I did something the other day where – Trot has like 24 home runs in his career up at uh, T-Mobile Park at one point with Safeco. And that's a that's a pitcher's yard. So, you know, you, you play more games, obviously, within your division. And so you have more bats there. But he's so – he's had such a good idea what he's doing at the plate. He, very rarely do you see him chase a pitch out of the strike zone. And whenever he – you know, he has a little bit of a weakness during the offseason, he'll figure it out. Like pitchers were pitching him upstairs just above the strike zone for a while, and he was going after it. Well, he stopped doing that. And he brought it down in the strike zone. His strikeouts went down. And we all know his on-base percentage, his walks, which were at one point last year, looked like he was going for Barry Bonds-type numbers as far as on-base percentage. So he makes so many great adjustments. He's not intimidated. Um, and, he's, and he's still just a kid. That's the thing. 
you see him on the field, and, and he, has, he has energy and enthusiasm, but when you get him away from the field and where he can, you can just talk something besides just about himself, or you know, because he never likes to talk about himself and or baseball that much. If you talk about you know the Eagles and football or the Sixers or anything like that, I mean, he has a blast. And or if you talk about, if I talk to him about Bo Jackson, he's intrigued because he's a guy that respects the players that played before him. That's the thing you know it's so refreshing to see because you don't see that a lot with younger players because they just don't, whether they're not educated on it or not, or they just don't care to. You know, they, they they think of everyone now, and they don't reflect on because you can learn so much from players back in the day, especially if you get a chance to talk to them. Let's end on this. I've always been in favor for major realignment. You know, play A's and Giants playing 19 times. Angels, Dodgers. How about Angels, Giants, Dodgers, A's? It's just because I got to tell you, when the Rangers come to town, no one cares. When the Astros come to town, well, they now care, but they before didn't care. I, I, the fact that we got these teams in California, even though the the Mets against the Yankees 19 times, I just think if we had more of a California division, the rivalries would really heat up. Yeah, my uh, my my ultimate dream would be, and I think there was probably some pretty good uh, momentum going, but I, with the way it's going now with the financial stuff around the whole country, it would be more difficult to say definitely there's going to be two expansion teams. But this is my dream. Uh, Seattle and having a team in Portland, have the other team be in, say, Nashville or so. So you have Seattle, Portland, so that's a great rival. you got the Giants, A's, us Dodgers, Padres, and Diamondbacks all in one division. How great would that be? First, you would alleviate a ton of travel, which is which is, I think is – first thing they should be thinking about not even for this what we're going through now just in general but those rivalries and it you know i don't have a problem if they never if they just kind of forget about interleague play i mean i don't dislike it but you already have those rivals i can't imagine every game i mean every game within this division would be so much fun because you're so close geographically that you're gonna have fans coming from the bay area down to la you're gonna have the same thing going back and forth you're gonna have some incredible battles and some incredible rivalries that it'll make this sport so much better. Remember one that long ago, the Red Wings were in the, you know, the Western conference in, in hockey, which was always crazy. In my opinion, they're back in, in the Eastern conference. You can do it. Everyone, nobody remembers now Milwaukee was in the American league, you know, or the Astros were in the national league. People get over. There'll be some, you know, people, no, 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 we can't do that. Or the same thing will happen with, we don't want the DH. We want we like all the different moves and, and double switches you see in the National League DH and then have these rivals here. It would be awesome for the game. Mark, it's great to hear your voice. We always appreciate the time. Hopefully we'll see you soon in Oakland or down in Anaheim. Be safe, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Chris. Have a good one. Everyone stay safe out there. Uh, we're, uh, we're getting close. I think we're ready to uh, see some sports coming, the ones we want to see now. As we like to say, friend of the program, another friend of the program, if we're ever talking Houston Astros baseball, we go to the World Series hero. We go to the former Cal Bear, Jeff Blum. Blummer stopped by to talk about the Houston Astros in 2020. Blummer, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Uh, it's great to hear your voice. We miss you. I know. It's been a long time. I should have gone through there at least twice already by now, right? Yeah, I know. It's just like, man, we need to get these games going because we all miss the game so much. And uh, how is everything down in Texas? 
Uh, it's it's great, and you guys know as well as I do, and uh, having lived in California, that you know states can be different. So there's parts of Texas that uh, are locked down, and then there's other parts you would think nothing ever happened. So it's kind of a unique mix. You know, we we just were talking about Mark Teixeira and the comment of on Buster Only's po- podcast, Baseball Tonight, about how some guys who are going to be free agents. You know, maybe they say, I'm going to sit this one out, shorten season, don't want to get hurt. And the more I tried to, to, to wrap my mind around that, I was like, if you don't play this year, you're basically going to be out and have not played Major League Baseball for really a year and a half. How tough would that be to sit out for a year and a half and then try and turn it back on? That, that's an interesting concept because I've never met a an athlete, especially a professional athlete, that has ever said, I think it's better if I don't play. Uh, if, if there's any kind of ego involved, which majority of the time there is, um, everybody wants to go out there and play, prove their worth. And uh, every day you get in a car, you're risking injury. Uh, shoot, this day and age, if you go outside without a mask, you're risking uh, potential uh, health issues. So I don't think that's the right frame of mind. I think guys who are successful understand how good they are and they enjoy going out there and improving it on a daily basis. And if you're choosing to not play baseball because you're worried about being injured in a short season, I think uh, your mind might be other places. And that's an unfortunate comment for me. You know, and I, I and I, I, I hate to say this because it sounds horrible because there's more important things really in life right now than, than worrying about who's benefited from the pandemic. But I, I think of two teams of how banged up the Yankees were heading to the start of the season. This allows them to get fully healthy. And then I think about, and we were going to see it in Anaheim. We were going to see it in Oakland about how the fans were going to react to the Houston Astros and come after the Houston Astros. Now with no fans in the stands, I hate to say it, but I think that benefits Houston. No, I agree. And you talked about the injuries, too. Just to hit that real quick, uh, Verlander you know, had a lat injury and ended up having groin surgery. Lance McCullers coming off Tommy John surgery. And so that kind of helped them out, too. So I agree with you in the sense that some of these teams that had some injury issues in spring have benefited a little bit from this layoff and, and potential of season starting so they can be back to full strength. Now, to your point about getting booed, I agree. And I know that you know this is one of those topics that's maybe on the back burner a little bit. But, uh, you know, it depends on how you look at it, because in in the sense of saying that the Astros benefit from not having to face fan vitriol is interesting to me, because within the confines of a ballpark, it's a little bit different than social media. Social media, uh, people are going to be a little more courageous in what they say about the Astros, a little more angry. And at the same time, the Astros have the option of turning that off. Uh, and not paying attention to it. Once you get into a ballpark and you have the fans there, the fans are going to let you have it. And there is a certain level of expectation when you do go on the road to have some of that anger put against you just because you're the opposing team. And then you add the scandal to it and you're uh, you're going to get a little more uh, exaggerated and enthusiastic fans, we'll say, in letting these guys know how they feel about what the, what happened in 2017. But at the same time, you know, there's a couple guys on the 17 team there. There aren't guys on the 17 team there. But there are also guys, as crazy as it sounds, who have that, you know, that that crazy personality that kind of want that hatred and can use it as motivation. And that's where I was kind of curious. 
to see how the Astros would react. Would they be the guys who would buckle under the pressure or would they be the guys that step up and say, you know what, we're going to be the Detroit Pistons of baseball and go out there and play hard and beat your team. You know, three names, and you mentioned McCullers, and the other two names in a shortened season, which I'm really looking forward to see how this works out, is Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puck. A.J. Puck was shut down. He should be healthy. You know, how we're going to match, because McCullers, you know, we're, we we baby guys coming off Tommy John, so this layoff is going to help him. You know, these young pitchers in a shortened season are we going to take the kid gloves off and say, hey, you're going every five days. It's a shortened season. Let's rock. I, I hope so. I, I think that would be a great idea to let these guys go out there and see what they can do and maybe use them a little more opportunistically instead of trying to pace yourself. Because I agree with you. The Lance McCullers situation after Tommy John, there's been a history of limiting guys' innings. You know, how do you work him through a season? And now you really don't have to. You can let him go out there and get his 15, 16 starts if that's the number you're set on. And then, like you're saying about uh, some of those young A's pitchers, I, to be honest, you know, the baseball fan in me wants to see these guys as often as possible. I was excited about this season because of guys like Lazardo and Pluck, who are, uh, Puck that are going out there and doing a great job. So if these guys can be healthy and can be used in a certain way, I think it benefits Bob Melvin. I think it benefits Dusty Baker. But I also think when you expand, if you take it a little bit further, in the 30-man roster and, you know, 50-man travel squad that you've got, you might have the potential to put some more of those prospects in or on that roster to maybe see if the, you can get some explosive outings from those guys too because of the lack of a minor league season. That would be exciting to me too. And in a shortened season, I mean, I, I, you know, it sounds like the players want to play 100 games. Owners are looking at 82. Whatever it is, the advantage that the Astros had is that they were so deep and they just exposed people in 162 games. But as you just mentioned, expanded rosters, more players, less games. It's a sprint, not a marathon. I've been asking people, uh, in your opinion, it's kind of like anybody that has a puncher's chance. They got a shot at this thing. Absolutely. And if I'm a, managing a ball club right now and we get the go-ahead to play this season and whether whether it's 82 or 100 games I'm telling these guys that anything literally anything can happen in a shortened season like this and that's I think what baseball should actually use as a selling point if they're able to get this thing going is explain the fact that it is a sprint and that you could have surprise teams that get hot all of a sudden and figure it out and maybe beat some you know more notable teams who are a little bit slower getting out of the gate. I think there's going to be a lot of emphasis on that first month. If and when these guys get going could be a lot of fun. And then if you kind of take it from the team standpoint and narrow it down to the individual standpoint, is there going to be a guy that hits 400? You know, there are guys that get on hot enough streaks that you could see them hitting 380, 390 in about three, four, 500 at bats. And maybe they can be able to pull that off. And that would be add an extra level of excitement to the game. Yeah, we had the, uh, I think it was MLB.com did the article about the amount of guys that hit 400 in 82 games. It was crazy how many, you know, like <laughs> Ted Williams did it multiple times. Tony Gwynn did it multiple times. George mm -hmm. Brett, Wade Boggs. I mean, yeah, we could finally in our lifetime see a guy hit 400. I think that would be one of the more fascinating, th fascinating things to see is to see if somebody actually went out there, got hot early, 
and we're able to maintain it because this day and age with the guy's abilities to command the strike zone, you know, I think about a guy like Joey Votto, very good hitter. If he can narrow down the strike zone and find his hits, adjust to maybe some of the shifts that are being put on him, he, he could be a guy that jumps out there and has a chance. And, of course, I'm going to be biased towards Jose Altuve just because he gets so many infield hits, and we've seen him get a bulk of amount of hits in such a short amount of time that maybe he's a guy that goes out and does it. What do you think – I mean, go back to your playing days. What do you think that would be like if you're sitting at, like, 410, 415, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, there's going to be – it's going to be a story. I mean, hell, it could be multiple guys, but what do you think that would be like as a hitter when, because George Brett always said the reason why he didn't hit 400 is because he started trying to hit 400. What do you think it mm-hmm. would be like the media scrutiny as a hitter and the mentality as a hitter? I, I can't even imagine, you know, if, and you're competing on the field and uh, you're, you're getting the notoriety, and like you said, you're getting some of that, you know, this day and age with the information overload we're on between social media and the internet, it's going to be overwhelming how many articles are actually written about a guy that's able to go out there and hit 400. But then I think George Brett, like you just said, kind of summed it up probably better than any of us could, is that our toughest critics, and even, even being in the broadcasting business, you know this, town, you are your toughest critic. And even though you think you had a great show, you're probably not going to convince yourself that you did. And you're going to start thinking about how can I get better? And once you start thinking about how can I get better when your batting average is around 400, 410, man, I mean, that all of a sudden might put a clamp down on your swing and, and cause some issues because uh, you got to, you know, I think it was Lance Berkman who I talked to. He said, he goes, I'm the best hitter when I'm, at, when I'm, at, when I'm dumb. And it, you, the longer you can be dumb, the better hitter you might be. And that's tough to do. You know, I, I think about the whole the whole scandal and everything that 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 went on, and it's crisis management. And if there was anybody to hire to come in and help put out the fire and, and be the new face, I mean, we, we, Dusty Baker is salt of the earth. We love Dusty; he's a great man. I, I he's like the be- if there was anybody you could pick out to take over the Astros, he's like the perfect fit. I couldn't agree with you more. And I had a lot of times, you know, playing against Dusty and some of the teams that he managed. And now I get a chance to talk to him. And selfishly, I'm really upset that this uh, this pandemic has happened because it's taken me away from hanging around Dusty a little more often. Because you are, I mean, salt to the earth is the epitome of what he is. Everything he's been through, whether it be, you know, being an African-American ball player playing down in Atlanta and dealing with that and having a, a, a mentor like Hank Aaron. I mean, can you imagine? And then being on deck for his 715th home run and seeing how he handled that and then managing through the big leagues, playing through the 80s. He has done so much and he's seen so much that you're right. I think in this sense, even though this is a foreign concept to him and moving into a team that is scandal ridden from 2017, he really offers a father type figure because he's been around the game. He's a little bit older, a little more experienced, and he can sit back and be that calming, soothing voice. In, an, in a sport that can be really run by emotion and help some of these guys out. But at the same time, you can also, you know, Dusty, when you were a player, did you face controversy? And he can come at him as a father figure or as a peer because he played the game for so long too. So I think you're right. It's a great fit and good timing. I'll never forget uh, being at the press conference when he came back from cancer and he, ha- he had the line that yeah. I'll never forget. 
forget where he goes, tomorrow is promised to nobody. And he was, he was so right. And, you know, if this thing's going to go the way we think it's going to go, so everybody out West will play each other. Everybody in the central will mm-hmm. play each other. Everybody in the East will play each other. So that kind of changes everything. What do you think that'll be like for the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers? You're not playing out West anymore. You're playing everybody in the central. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. I think they still have the Astros and uh, Rangers. We're still playing out in the West, aren't we? I don't know. I mean, I saw that where they're going to try and limit travel, right? So it would be like Pacific time zone teams play each other, Central mm-hmm. time zone, East time zone. I mean, I we, we don't we no one's given us a true plan. But let's just say <laughs> it's probably the better point. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just for joke. But let's say you don't come out west, and you know now you're you know you're old Chicago White Sox, and you're playing the Cubs and the Brewers, and the, I mean Twins. it'll be wild. Yeah, it would it would be wild if they actually did it regionally. It would be extremely weird because you know having been in the American League West for the last seven uh, seven years and getting used to that competition and building a team to compete within the Western Division, and now you've got to start playing within the Central divisions, whether it be the National League, which they were in before, so it'd be a little bit of a you know an old home week uh, playing the Cardinals, Cubs. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers and teams like that. I'm not sure if Pittsburgh would mix in, mix in there, but uh, then you'd have to play the American League Central, which would be very interesting to me because I feel like the Chicago White Sox have done a phenomenal job in building a team that's going to go out there and compete. They're still rather young, which might uh, work against them, but in a shortened season, it may work for them. And then you've got the Minnesota Twins who made some crazy additions, and they're going to compete, hit a lot of home runs again, and it's going to be incredibly tough. But uh, I'm, I'm, for me personally, I hope it's a West Coast AL West, NL West in the division and just go ahead and watch those guys go at it because I think that would be a lot of fun with some very good teams out there. Yeah, from an A's perspective, great. Not only we got the yeah, Astros, right? now we got to deal with the Dodgers. <laughs> Josh, that would be insane though, wouldn't it? I mean, I couldn't imagine. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I so you obviously, you know, you grew up in Southern California. Um, and I've been kicking this around and you went to school up here. I'm like the A's taking on the giants for 19 games a year, the angels and the Dodgers, uh, A's and the, and, and, and the Dodgers, these, these net, these, they could be natural California rivalries. I mean, take, take the white Sox and Cubs, Yankees, Mets. I mean, the fact if we were, if you were, if your divisions were more regional, man, that would spark more for the fans. And I think it would increase attendance, television, radio ratings. You know, I, I just think it would be better for the game. No, I couldn't agree more. And you're really in an opportunity right now, like you said, with so much uncertainty out there that if you're trying to, if you're trying to brand this game for fans across the country, and we know that baseball is a little more regional as far as its popularity. Why wouldn't you try and create those already natural rivalries and put them together and let them play a little bit more often? Because I, the ratings are going to go up on TV just for obvious reasons. But at the same time, you're also going to create that, that camaraderie, that communication between fans on social media, talking about your two teams going at it, whether they be 10 miles away or you know, 20 miles away, it, it brings everybody together to watch the same game at the same time. and just creates so much more 
energy around it and much more uh, entertainment value, I, I think, to it when you actually have that. You're going to be forced to watch every inning of every one of those, uh, you know, rivalry-type games. All right, October 25th, 2005. <laughs> you hit one of the biggest, I mean, biggest home run in, in, in White Sox history. You have a statue now uh, in the south side of Chicago. If that game mm-hmm. is on, because we've been watching all these legendary games, if that game is on, White Sox, Astros, will you watch that game? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Heck yeah. Okay. No, da- you, you know, sorry. Dallas Braden has never watched his perfect game. Oh, come on. You got to watch that and enjoy it, man. That's, that was a once in a lifetime thing. You know what's cool? You know, the, and part of the reason for me watching it is obviously selfishly, I want to watch myself succeed. But at the same time, there's been a lot of games that have been on uh, that, you know, my kids who are now freshmen and sophomores and or now sophomores and juniors in in high school didn't see me play. They don't remember it. And now these games are coming on and I can go, Hey, I told you dad was a big leaguer. And now they get to watch these games. And then obviously the biggest moment in my career, heck yeah, I'm going to force them to sit down and watch that game with me. Well, I mean, you can just take your kids and you got a statue for God's sakes. Yeah. Maybe they'll understand why now, if they actually see that game. Hey, let's end on this. Everybody's been doing a deep dive, and I've been asking all of our guests, what's the one thing, I don't know, Hulu, Netflix, books, games, puzzles, what's what, what's been going on in your household? Uh, school ended last week, so we're all fighting over Netflix. And uh, what my wife and I have done is kind of negotiated uh, you know, a movie night where my wife and I get to pick movies. So we've done you know, Shawshank Redemption. We've done some of those, you know, 80s classics, 90s classics. And then on Memorial Day, we made them watch uh, Saving Private Ryan. And so that's what we've been doing as far as movies are concerned. But TV shows are a little bit different. We're trying to get into Ozark. Uh, we're watching Ozark Mad Men and, man, there was Westworld. So it's amazing that we're actually finding time to watch three different shows at the same time. That's how, that's how in-depth we've gotten with uh, TV viewing. God, you've never been home this much. Yeah, that's the truth. Usually, and you know what's funny too is when I go on road trips, I would usually pick a TV series. Like the last couple of years, I did Game of Thrones, and I would download a couple episodes every flight. And now you take away my flights, so I got to do it at home with the wife. <laughs> well, you know, we have a we have a saying here: friend of the program. When we talk about people, and uh, you're yeah. truly one of the great friends of this program. We've always appreciated your support when when you come to town or on the road, and uh, hope everything's going well for you guys in Texas. And hopefully, we'll see you soon at the Coliseum. Yeah, I appreciate you guys thinking of me, and uh, trust me, it brings me great joy to be on your show and be thought of as one of the guys out there. So I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you guys are doing well too. And believe it or not, nothing would make me happier than know that we were flying in and going to the Coliseum to watch some baseball. Take care, buddy. You too, Tony. Appreciate it, man. You know, it's great what the commander and I have been able to do, establishing these friendships with these guys who are former players and broadcasters for other teams, because it's the same thing with the Texas Rangers. If you're going to talk Texas Rangers, we got to go to the left-hander, C.J. Nikowski, breaking it down. C.J., it's great to hear your voice. Thank you for coming on. And how are you there in Georgia? Hi, Chris. Good to hear from you as well, man. Uh, we're doing well. No real complaints here, obviously, outside of the fact that there's no 
major league baseball games um, to talk about every day. But you know, things here in this part of the country are pretty good uh, compared to other places. Life seems you know, not quite normal, but closer to normal. I got a real haircut yesterday, which was very exciting. Uh, my first one in a long time. And then, you know, my youngest is 12, and they've been playing baseball for a couple of weeks. They've had practice, I guess, for about a month now. And then with the last two weekends, we've gotten games in, um, which has been really nice. So that part for the kids especially, I mean, as much as it could be frustrating for us and, and stressful for us, you do worry about them and, and kind of what their normal looks like. And so to, to have him be able to go out there and do some things that he should be doing at this time of year has been really nice. So we're having in with, with no real major complaints. You know, a few weeks back, driving around, Sirius XM, I love the baseball channel, and yes, I re-upped. I'm being loyal to all you guys. I re-upped. Thank I love you. it. And uh, you were talking about, like, Little League dads and soccer dads. <laughs> and, and my kids were in the car, and they used to play soccer. I have 14-year-old twins. We were just rolling because we know exactly what you're talking about, the crazy dad, uh, whether it's soccer or Little League or whatever it is. It was, it was funny what you guys were doing. Yeah, it is, you know, always been something, um, having an older one to have a 20 year old boy who went through playing, I guess he's a Simon and Como boy, but, uh, he, um, you know, he went through the whole thing. And so I've been through it a couple of different times. And it was one of the things that when you, you, know, you kind of start to work your way out of your professional playing career, you get your first taste of what the modern little league dad is like, or, or any sport parent for that matter, you're a little bit taken back. And one of the things that's, that's shocking in the group, not always, but there are times you get in certain situations that, that people don't care about your background. Like, they don't care that you played professionally. They think they know it all. And that even sometimes happens at the older levels, even in high school. And I don't know if they're worried that you're going to come in and think that, you know, you know everything because I, I never take that approach um, at all. Or they don't know anything either that you're not going to listen to, you know, average dad, what kind of ideas he may have. But there's always an interesting dynamic there. I've been fortunate that my kids have had some pretty good coaches. We've had some bad ones, too, just like everybody else. But it is a little bit nutty. Um, what's interesting here, what we're doing in Georgia now, which I wish would, would – be something that's stuck here going forward. So we're technically not allowed to play in tournaments right now. And you, know, you hear about all the injuries for arms or baseball arms over the years and, and what the kind of damage that can be done if you're not taking care of those young arms. Well, it's not it's not tournament-style baseball. We're just playing a set number of games on the weekend, almost like they're set up to kind of like scrimmages. And so you meet, we met with a couple of teams, and I think it was like, I don't know, somewhere about six or so teams, and they just set schedule. We played a game Friday, two on Saturday, one on Sunday, and you're done. No matter what, which I love. It's really, really good for the kids because there is no, you know what, we might have to play three or four games. We'll try to make a run to a championship. We're going to push our arms really hard. That's where a lot of the damage gets done for young baseball players. I know it's not going to stick, but it's kind of turned into a little dream of mine that this is the way that we would do things for not all of the season, but for most of the season. But it is the crazy parents that probably would not allow it to happen because they get so competitive. And they want their kids to, to win fake rings that are bigger than the Nationals World Championship ring, uh, but are worth uh, probably about, uh, I don't know, one ten thousandth of the value, if not more. You, you know, one thing I wanted to get into with you today is, you know, I've been over to Japan twice with the A's. We've gone over there. And not only do you play the Mariners, but we play the Japanese teams. And it's a lot of fun. They got their bands going. It's kind of like college football. And each guy that comes to plate, they have a song for and then I think about the KBO, watching it on television and watching these guys with the swagger and the bat flips. You played in the KBO. What was it like? Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed both of those places. Japan was a lot of fun. Korea was a lot of fun. Certainly differences, not just from 
to baseball here in the States compared to those two leagues, but even among each other. So it's been really great exposure uh, for KBO right now to be able to get some games here on ESPN and for an American audience to get a real good feel for what they do over there. They are missing out on probably one of the greatest experiences of playing there, and that's the fans and how they interact and how they watch the games and the loud cheering that goes on. That is very unique uh, to baseball, especially the baseball that we have here in the U.S. Uh, so that was a really big part of it. That made it a lot of fun. And, you know, the international experience, I tell people all the time, is, is maybe one of the greatest gifts that this game gives us as professionals. First, the exposure you get to players from all around the world just when you're playing here uh, in the States. That's a really cool thing, and it's, it's tough to get at that level with that kind of intimacy um, in, in other careers. Yes, you can work with, you know, in your career with people from around the world, but the amount of time that you spend with guys from other parts of the world is really cool. And then if you get the chance to go play in other parts of the world, that's also a really cool gift. Um, that the game has given me and has given so many other players um, just to experience it from a family perspective, uh, living in a different country, just kind of broadens your mind. And I love that. I really did enjoy it. There's some sacrifices there with the time that you spend away um, from your family. But but other than that, it has been uh, – I absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. Do you ever think we could get to a point where there are bat flips and – we're not having pitchers throw at guys because, I mean, making baseball more entertaining because these guys in the KBO look like they're having an absolute blast. Uh, yeah, they are. I mean, I think, you know, it's different. It's all about how the game, um, you know, how you're taught the game and the game that you watched your entire life. I would say this. I think when it comes to some of the things that we talked about and we've talked about in the past with, you know, bat flips and things that are happening, I, I always say that we can never tell people how to feel, right? I mean, we, we can, we can, offer our opinions about hey, this wasn't that big of a deal, but we could never say, Hey, you shouldn't feel this way because this happened. I know those are, those are always personal to us and how we, we take things good or bad. Cause there are some guys that don't mind if someone bat puts on them. And there are some hitters that might not get too bad if a pitcher, you know, does a fist pump after he strikes him out. And there are guys on both sides of that who don't handle it well and don't like it. And I think that's okay. I think that should be allowed um, to some degree. So I think that even though, yeah, they, they are having fun and there's some things that are going on, you know, those bat flips a lot of times really have more to do uh, with their swings, you know, quite honestly. It's just the way that there's kind of that high finish and the way that they end up letting go of the bat. It looks like a, a bigger bat flip than it probably really is. Um, but it's certainly a different, a different style of game in that regard. And the hit-by-pitch is like in Japan, if you hit a guy there, you're expected as a pitcher to bow to him as a, as a way to kind of apologize and say there wasn't intentional. Right? That's just kind of a, a customary thing. It's part of the culture there. That's never going to happen here. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> not. I mean, you're taught. I remember first getting to professional baseball and being taught that if you hit somebody, uh, even if you did not, didn't do it on purpose, that you probably should act like you did it on purpose, which I thought was kind of strange You know, when I first heard that. The idea behind it is that you just don't want to show any weakness at all and not that you're out there trying to hurt people, but you're not going to sit there and be like, oh, sorry, 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 you know, while you're standing on the mound in the middle of a competition, which I don't necessarily agree with, but those are the kind of things um, that are taught to professionals, and, and everyone treats it differently. You know, the last time I was uh, in Arlington was when there were the tornadoes, and that, that, that gray sky came over and started dumping rain. And, you know, there was like, there was like tornadoes in Plano and it was just a crazy time. And I got to think this year, brand new stadium, you got a roof, you know, no matter how, how many games we end up playing, we know that every home game is going to get played. There's not going to be rain delays. It's not going to be too hot. I think Ranger fans have to be so excited going into this year now that they're going to have a roof over their heads. 
Oh, no doubt. I mean, they are really excited as they should be. The ballpark is absolutely uh, beautiful. It's a gorgeous ballpark. And I just saw some, some pictures that they tweeted out um, today of, of the clubhouse. Uh, and they said it's an acre and it's a 40,000 square feet. And it's, it's amazing. It's empty. And it's really sad that nobody's in there right now. But I think for both the players and the fans, this place is, is going to be amazing. And I fully expect us to see some baseball in that stadium this year. And and perhaps we even get to see some baseball with fans, hopefully, at some point. But, you know, the issue with playing in Arlington, I, I used to never love going in there as a visitor in August. But late in the season, it would just be so hot, especially if you're not used to it not playing there all year and so humid. And it would it could be a tough place to pitch because the ball flew out of there as well. So you have the combination of a, a pitcher trying to have some stamina, face really good lineups at the times that I was there in a ballpark that's really good to hit in. It was, it was a real challenge. Trying to watch day games there, or even half day games in the summer, is it was always a challenge um, at the old ballpark at Globe Life Park. And you had to have Sunday day games. You had to, unless you're playing on Sunday night baseball. That's the way the schedule works. And so you were forced into some of those games. So it was a real disadvantage, I think, for the Texas Rangers uh, when it came to attendance. And so that became an issue for them. And, and this ballpark is beautiful. It's attached to Texas Live. They just got it's, it's great. It's unfortunate that it's not uh, full of people right now the way that we thought it was going to be. But that time will come, and hopefully not too far off, and everyone is going to love this place. Yeah, if any of our listeners are ever going to go out there, and I'm sure because, you know, Ace fans travel around, or if you're going to go see a Dallas Cowboys game, Texas Live is absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the barbecue place, the bars, I, I was like, whoever came up with this concept, it, it's brilliant. And I think once you get baseball going again, you know, bringing Kluber over, I, I think you got to be excited about your guy's starting rotation. Uh, without a doubt. And real quick, going back to the Texas Live, it's kind of, I think, the model going forward. And we've seen it. This isn't the first one. They just keep getting better and better and better. You have the Battery in Atlanta. You have Ballpark Village in St. Louis. And this, this kind of keeps happening. And, and we know, of course, we do everything bigger in Texas. We have the space to do it. And we like to see uh, big things. But it is, um, you know, it, it's this trend that you're seeing in the game right now. I think the Angels, as they've talked about trying to buy all that property around the ballpark and what they're going to do, that's where the game is headed, more entertainment um, around the ballpark. But from a team standpoint, you're absolutely right. And coming into the season for the first time probably in a long time, Ranger fans were looking at their rotation one through five and feeling really good about what they had. Not a lot of question marks there um, at all, which was which was really encouraging. Corey Kluber looked really good um, at the end of spring, or I say the end of spring training, what turned out to be the end of spring training. Mike Miner and Lance Lynn have been amazing signs for them. Uh, Kyle Gibson is a guy that they expect more out of, and he expects more out of himself as he went through um, some injuries and what, uh, last year, some things that he was dealing with. And then Jordan Lyles, you know, there was. There were some spurts there last year that got you excited about what could be. So uh, it is a deep rotation. And like I said, for the first time in a long time, I think that uh, fans and certainly us as broadcasters were excited about every fifth day who's going to take the man. And we'll get to see it here sooner or later. Um, But actually leaning on starting pitching to make you a contender. Yeah, I can tell you it's uh, Lockhart Smokehouse. I walked up. Oh, yeah. And I go, I, I, we, we had that double header. So I took Fossey and Glenn Kuyper over. I walked up. I go, I'll take the brisket. I'll take the ribs. I'll take the sausage. <laughs> I ordered like one of every. Well, you're on per diem. So I'm like, I, I ordered one of everything. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, Pudge has a pizza place in there. Uh, Troy Aikman has uh, a bar in there, a cool little kind of beer and food place. 
the screen that sits in the very middle of the, what they call the arena is ridiculous. It is the biggest indoor screen in our country uh, that's not hanging in a stadium. I mean, I want to say it's a hundred foot screen that they have in there. They do music events in there. There's an outdoor music venue. Um, the, the PBR bar and then you go ride mechanical bowls. You can bowl. I mean, it's, just, it's an amazing little setup. And even as a pre and a post game, or if you just want to go there and watch the game, we're just talking about you know what baseball is going to look like when we get back. And I threw out the idea uh, to those in charge that you know it sounds like broadcasters are probably going to stay back when the team's on the road, and we'll see. No good decisions have been made yet. We have to obviously get things settled. I said, what about us calling games from there? Like if they're starting to let fans kind of come into Texas live and watch games. Uh, how cool would it be to be able to call the game, uh, a road game, among some Ranger fans in a really cool spot? So I don't know if it'll happen, uh, but that's the kind of opportunities um, of things that you can do there. That's, like, like I said, it's a feature of what's happening in, with sports, but definitely in baseball. And uh, when you come to Arlington, or if you're in Dallas or Fort Worth for work, make sure you come by at least one time and check this place out. So in a shortened season, that this brings a lot more teams into it, right? Because 162 games, you really get exposed. You, you see the warts. 82 games, I mean, so many teams got a puncher's chance. We know the Astros are going to be good. We know the A's are going to be good. Uh, we know the offense for the Angels is going to be tough. I don't know how they're going to get 27 outs. Uh, but in an 82-game season, what has to change for the Rangers to give them an opportunity to potentially get into the postseason? Well, it's certainly helpful, right, because it sounds like we'll have expanded teams, too, right, if we see 14 teams in the postseason, which will be really fun and trying to make that push uh, for some more postseason action. That helps pretty much everybody. Uh, but when you talk about the Rangers in particular, I think that I mentioned the pitching, and we feel really good about where that's headed. I think the club certainly does. But what about the consistency of the lineup? And what we saw from Joey Gallo for three months last year before he got hurt was incredible. I was He got to a place where I didn't think he would ever be able to get to. I, I was kind of resigned to the fact that, you know what, it's going to be low batting average with a ton of power. It's a trade-off that teams are okay with these days. That's the way the game is trended. And he found a way to hit for average without giving up any of that power. I mean, he was on an MVP track last year before he got hurt. Now, does he have to be MVP caliber every single year? No. But if he becomes that kind of guy, and, I, and like I said, a guy that I didn't really think that he could become, just because it was such a, a far leap from where he was, that becomes really important when you have that kind of bat in the middle of your lineup, and then you start kind of going up and down um, the lineup. They need that really good version of the veterans that are also there. That means two. That means Elvis Andrews. That means Ruben Odor. Right? It's been a little bit of a battle for him to find that consistency as far as what he's doing at second base. Really nice add um, at third with Todd Frazier, who can also play some first. And so it's a matter of really, I think, the consistency of that lineup. That looks, it's absolutely capable. Like whenever we sit there and like talk about teams, it's okay. Here's how a team can contend. If they can do this, if they can do that, if they can do that, right? We, we kind of do this all the time with teams. I think when we talk about the Rangers and asking for the consistency of that lineup, it's not a far reach. You're not asking them to do things they haven't done before. You're not asking them to say, hey, you have to be the absolute best version that you've ever been of yourself to give this team a chance to go to the postseason. It's not that. You know, that 85 90% version, a lot of these guys, if they can stay healthy, will be enough with the pitching that they have. Always great to have you on the program. Good to hear your voice. Can't wait to see you back in Oakland. And uh, good to know you guys got some things going there in Georgia and you're starting to play a little baseball, and I'm sure that's good for the family. So be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. And it's good for the soul, too, to see those kids out there playing. Gives us hope that we'll see the, the big leaguers doing it soon. Always a pleasure, Chris. Always good to have CJ on. Well, we, we saved the Mariners for last. Why? 
because they're not going to be very good. It's the bottom line. They're rebuilding, and uh, teams are going to feast on these guys. But they got a terrific broadcaster, Aaron Goldsmith, and he joined us to talk about the Seattle Mariners. Hey, we always appreciate the time. How you doing up there in the Pacific Northwest? Hey, Chris, doing very well, man. We're uh, like like everybody else, probably, but we are we're hanging in there. I'm, I'm happy that we're all uh, we're all safe and healthy and uh, been taken care of gratefully. You know, you, you think about uh, what we're hearing and there's a lot of good news. And obviously you guys were uh, affected very early, just like us here in the Bay Area. But I mean, for all of us that work in the game, it's it, it's good to, to hear progress. Even our governor has said that pro sports can start here coming up in June. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I kind of have gotten out of the mindset of each day trying to check in and read the latest things about what's going on, because I think like all of us, I, I soon realized that nobody knew anything, <laughs> um, but we just had some best guesses and those best guesses changed the next day and changed the next week. But once you start hearing, you're right, Chris, once you start hearing some real things coming out from uh, local um, local law and and local politicians saying that things are moving in the right directions. Uh, hopefully in June, June 1st here in Seattle, people can get their hair cut again, which uh, for me, it's been a fight against gravity for the last three weeks, as it looks like for you as well. Chris, you see this mop right here, Yeah, man, Cody's looking like, <laughs> I mean, this is full survivor mode, man. This is uh, both of you guys. It's, it's terrifying. I mean, hey, you know what? I'm not going to cut it. I'm going to let it grow because I, I don't think that I will be going to the ballpark that will treat every game like it's a road game. So everything will be from my home studio. I've never had long hair, and I think I'm just going to let it grow and see, see what it looks like. I mean, hey, if you think that that's a good idea, then, Chris, I support you. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun. Fun times here, Groundhog Day, Bill Murray. <laughs> uh, when you look at the Seattle Mariners, and we talked to spring training, we know there's not really high expectations. Uh, oh, come on, it, Chris. Come on, Chris. <laughs> Is that a hot take? Yeah. There's a nicer way to say that, but you're right. You're absolutely right. But, they will not be competing for a World Series had this year started as scheduled. But you know what's, what we've been talking to a lot of people about is in a shortened season, anybody's got a chance. Well, it is kind of funny when you look at what happened to the Mariners last year and their two to three weeks start to the season where they were mashing three homers a game and got off to this absolutely torrid start. I mean, if they, or any team for that matter, does something similar to that, if this year's shortened season does happen, yeah, you're right. I mean, it completely skews everything. I mean, and any team is possible of that, right? I mean, it's any team can get molten hot for two weeks to three weeks, and especially if it coincides with a soft part of the schedule. For the Mariners last year... It, the soft part of the schedule was the beginning of the season. So they started hot and they had an easy schedule and that's what happened. So absolutely. It could, could very well be the case if a shortened season were to happen. You know, I don't, I don't know when it was last year when you guys showed up to Oakland, but this, this thing was unbelievable where there was a home run hit, whether it was from the Mariners or the opposite team, every single game. And I remember looking at your guys game notes going, I can't believe this streak is still going. And I think it went to 107 straight games where 
a home run was hitting your guys's. I mean, obviously a juice baseball, but but that to me is still a crazy number that you guys had a home run every game for 107 straight games. I remember there were a couple of points along the streak where you would look down on your scorebook during a commercial break and you'd be going into the eighth inning and you say, what? Oh, we don't have a home run yet. Or nobody has a home run yet, right? And you're almost, you're just, you're rooting for any kind of home run, assuming that it wouldn't be a bad thing for the Mariners. Because the streak was so amazing. You're right. It was incredible. Obviously, the Mariners, especially in the front half of the season, had a lot of guys with some pretty big pop. And they also had a bullpen in particular that had a propensity to give up the long ball. So it takes two, right? Uh, But it was a a major, major (laughs) storyline to the Mariners' season last year that was pretty entertaining. And yeah, it... I think it probably befuddled a lot of people who would read that note two or three times to make sure that they got it correct. Yeah, and I think what we're looking this year, uh, you know, and what will will be the West, you know, there's going to be West, Central, and East. Uh, you know, the A's we expect to be good. The Ast- you know, the Astros now are, are not going to be in play. Um, I mean, it's going to be weird, right? Next thing you know, it's going to be like, hey, it's the Mariners and the Dodgers, and it's the Mariners and the Padres, and it's the A's and the Giants. I mean, this is the the way we think it's going to look and how we're all going to be playing in the West. I think we could look in the future. This is maybe how it should be that teams I, – I always joke that if you're more than a three-hour Southwest flight from the opposing team, you shouldn't be in the same division. So, obviously – Texas and Houston shouldn't be in our division. And I got to think that if we played more, if we played 19 times against the Giants and 19 times against the Dodgers, uh, how this would make rivalries even better because we're all on the West Coast. I wonder if this would change and maybe even help realignment. Well, I, I think that's the hope, right? Not only when it comes to the alignment of the divisions, but it could be anything else in terms of an experiment that if there is a shortened season that they use this as a template, right? This is the beta test. This is the test kitchen, the Petri dish, because why not? This is the perfect time to do it. And yeah, it does always rub, I think, everybody the wrong way when you're flying to Texas all the time. And I don't know about the A's or anybody else in the division, but for the Mariners, uh, since the Astros joined the division back in 2013, there's been, I honestly, I think it's no more than three times that the two Texas teams have been on the same road trip. Right? I mean, like that was the assumption that when the Astros joined, it was like, oh, okay, we well, go to Arlington, then you go to Houston, or vice versa. But no, it's you're making twice as many trips to Texas as you were prior. I mean, it's. It's a surprise when you play both Texas teams, at least for the Mariners, on the same road trip. So, absolutely. The rivalry is missing. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, for the A's, it's a little bit different. I, I don't know if if the Mariners st- played other teams on the West Coast, if that would necessarily – I would like to think that it would generate more of a rivalry. The Mariners really don't have one at this point, and I'm not sure if they could get one um, just by doing that. But it would at least make more sense when you just look at a map. Oh my God! The mount that the the you guys fly more than anybody in baseball, and you're so right. I mean, last year we had a road trip where we went to Anaheim, then flew to Texas, and then flew to Tampa. 
So we kept getting further away from. <laughs> and I'm like, like, who's doing? Who's making this schedule? You're right. I mean, that's and that's why I think for because you look at the East Coast teams, they don't fly nearly anywhere near what we do. And if we were all now just playing each other here on the West Coast, it would give. I mean, th- that's a competitive advantage when you're not on as many flights and, or as long. I, I think for us in, in our div- division, I mean, think about it. If you're playing the Giants, just taking a bus. I mean, L.A. from 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 Oakland is essentially. I mean, you have time for one drink. I mean, it would really change uh, the business, and it would it would really help competitive advantage for us to all stay on the West Coast. Well, and think of it too from a standpoint of let's look at it from you are a you are a eight year old. Rangers fan or an eight-year-old Astros fan, okay, and you're really trying to get into baseball and you enjoy watching your team every night. But now your Rangers go on a West Coast swing for 10 days, for seven for a week. Okay. And now nine o'clock is when the game starts. I mean, you're not seeing your team play for a week. Uh, and that's a bomber, man. Like that, that really stinks for those teams that are in this case in the central time zone when their teams are playing out West. I mean, you're, that is a, that's a long night, man, waiting for your team to play. And it's a long If you, and even if you're not a nine year old kid, it's a long night to try to make, ask a fan to sit through a game, uh, especially with the rates in which we're seeing games played nowadays. So, I mean, for all the sense in the world, it, it stands to reason that, that hopefully this could happen at some point. Um, but I, I will say this: I think most most anybody would be willing to play anywhere right now. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. That's yeah, for there's sure. no doubt. I, I, you know, and just to get this thing going, and, and you know, if I can get into the Korean baseball organization, which, by the way, I love these guys. You know, we, you know, our our, our former coach Matt Williams, and uh, you know, one of the great third basements. We've had him on the program from over there. Dan Straley, one of our former pitchers. And just the brand of baseball, the swagger that they have, and the bat flips, and the fist pumps, and all the things going on, I kind of, I kind of hope it rubs off on American players and allow them to have a little more fun. Understand it's about entertainment, and we don't have to put one in, in a guy's ribs every single time there's a bat flip. Well, hey, let's talk about let's talk about the Eric Sogard glasses that some of these guys are rocking over there, man. I mean, it makes. It makes Sogard look cool with the specs that he had going on. I mean, these some of these guys, I mean, it's like uh, these are your grandfather's glasses that they're wearing out there in the field. So this is, I mean, they've got, they clearly do not care what it looks like. Or either that or they are convinced that it looks pretty cool. What do you think about uh, broadcasting virtually? Because that's something that we've seen for, for many years with the Olympics. Yeah, I think, so I've done broadcasts before where I am on site. My analyst is on site, but everybody else in the truck is back in you name it town, right? Uh, producing the game remotely. Uh, I've never done a game where I'm calling it off of a monitor. I th- would think that baseball would for sure be the most difficult sport to call off a monitor. I mean, football and basketball, the camera is always on the ball nothing for the most part takes place away from the ball. I mean, baseball is the only sport where action occurs away from the ball. And you are completely reliant on the director 
cutting to shots that you need to see to make your call. I mean, if a if a right fielder boots a ball up against the fence, right, and the base runner then decides to accelerate past second to third and trips over second base, but the director, not his fault, sticks on the right fielder trying to track the ball down after he bobbled it, you're never going to know what happened. And if that runner gets in a pickle, I mean, that's just one example of, of a million. Not to mention the fact that you're just, with every swing of the bat, you're waiting for the camera to cut so you can see where the ball is, how hard it's hit, how far it's hit. You're going to rely so much on what it sounds like, even more than you do when you're calling it live. It, it, it would be, I would gladly do it. I would gladly do it. But it would definitely, it would... It'd be a lot easier to do that on the radio where you could fudge things a little bit than to do it on TV. Yeah, we had Boog Shambi on on Monday, and he's calling these KBO games. And he's like, there's sometimes they do a pinch hitter. You can't read the names on the back of the jersey. You have no idea. He's like, you got these rosters, and you know sometimes they've made a pitching change you don't know. So he goes, he's happy he's working, and he's back doing sure. it. But it, it said, like, Sometimes you don't even know who's who's hitting or who's hitting. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, not only with the possibility of calling games like that, but for all of media right now, uh, I think that there is a general level of forgiveness from the consumer like we've never had before. And whether that be in production value or, in this case, the actual nuts and bolts of potentially calling a game like Boog was talking about. Boog, who I think is like the best at what he does like awesome dude and like maybe the best baseball play-by-play guy going right now like i just think the world of him so yeah i i uh i I had a conversation with our radio producer with the mariners about how to get a great bat crack sound if we are going to call games remotely and we were like well should we try to try to add it in should we try to manipulate a bat crack like like a like an audio board right like ding ding like you press the button and i was like dude if this if this takes any longer than 10 seconds to figure out let's just blow past it because everybody's just going to be thrilled that baseball is back right like that's all that counts baseball's back and we're calling and watching baseball and the forgiveness level will be through the roof and if the production value of a radio broadcast isn't what it normally is that's going to be okay all right let's end on this everybody has been doing a deep dive on something whether you're Netflix, books, games, Hulu, what's your family? What have you guys been doing a deep dive in? Man, I got to tell you, we've got we got a family of five. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-month-old. Oof. So we are in the trenches, man. <laughs> I mean, this is... Like, I really break down COVID into, like, two spheres of people, like, with kids and without kids, right? And the grass is greener. Like, the without kids are, like, bored out of their mind, just sick of looking at their spouse, right? Climbing up the walls. And the with kids are like, if you could just give me 24 hours where I where I didn't have to find a way. Because, like, our kids are so young that they're we don't have school online for them, right? Because they're they're... They're too little for that. So we are just like outside on bikes, on runs, going into nature, digging, right? Like doing all those things all the time. And by bedtime, my wife, my wonderful wife, Heather, we are like, we're just about ready to collapse. So 
we're we're ready for all this to be over like everybody else. Yeah, I got uh, 14-year-old twin daughters who are uh, turning into teenagers, and it's um, life has changed. <laughs> Yes, yeah, no like I, 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 part of me feels like having teenagers would be even more difficult because they can, they, just for all the obvious reasons. But I don't know when I when when we get done here, I might I might think that my situation's harder when I go back when I open up those doors and reality hits me again. How long you guys want to talk for like seven hours? Like, yeah, I got I, all day, man. Like, hey, just... hey, let me let, let me tell you something. I went and got my bike fixed. I'm riding my bike like I'm 12, 13 years old again. <laughs> Do you have like like sparklers hanging off the handlebars, like a like a big bozo horn on on the handlebars? A little ding ding to get people yeah. out of the way. Exactly. I, I'm biking about it, it, this route that I do. It's about 13 miles a day, and then I even went over to like Cody, my producer, lives over where the San Jose Sharks play, the Shark Tank. I I, I rode over yesterday, and we had we had we had a couple cocktails yesterday. I mean, bored out of my when I'm not doing the show, bored out of my mind. Yeah, man. I know we we envy your boredom, I relish in your boredom, just bask in it like a warm glow of the sun. Yeah, no one should. If if I ever hear anybody around me complain about I'm working too much, I'm going to be like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I can't wait to get back to work. Well, you know, I think this will be a regular conversation for us. We'll do it three times a day. We'll do an hour apiece. Um, my wife will understand. Uh, my kids have seen too much of me. And if not, I'll just I'll just make my setup in my office and I'll just talk to myself and use it as a solid excuse. Well, if you need, we'll call you every week to give you something to do until we get this thing going. Yeah, if you, yeah. If you guys have any suggestions, please let us know. We're, <laughs> hey, we're all ears. We always appreciate the time. You take care and be safe up there in the Pacific Northwest. All right, Chris, Cody, you guys take care as well, man. And, you know, just put a hat on, Cody. Good Lord. Just terrible. <laughs> just terrible. Let, it, let it grow, baby. That's our mantra. <laughs> Great seeing you guys. Well, that does it for the American League West. We thank Glenn Kuyper, Mark Gubaza, Jeff Blum, CJ Nikowski, and Aaron Goldsmith. That will do it for the American League West and A's Unfiltered. We'll send it back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.